When was the last time you found a professional look that fits so well you felt like you could take on anything? Indochino believes you shouldn't fit your clothes, they should fit you. Your body, personality, and style. Because finding the perfect fit is about more than your measurements, it's how you show the world who you are. Design every detail of your suit to be totally you with Indochino's new women's wear line. Simply submit your measurements online or visit an expert style guide at an Indochino showroom. They have hundreds of high-quality fabrics and details to choose from and are always adding new options so you can add your own flair. With endless ways to customize, designing an outfit is easy. Just tell Indochino how you want it, and that's how they'll make it. Find your perfect fit and stand out in style with a custom suit from Indochino. For 10% off, use promo code WOMEN when you visit Indochino.com to book a showroom appointment or place an order. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com, promo code WOMEN. With the Planet Fitness Black Card, you don't just get a great workout, you get a great perk out because your membership is packed with perks. For $1 down and $24.99 a month, you'll get perks like access to any of our 2,400 clean and spacious locations. Bring your friend anytime and both work out with tons of equipment that'll give you that big fitness energy. Relax in the Black Card Spa for a pampered perk and download the PF app for plenty more perks. Work out and perk out with the PF Black Card. Join for $1 down and $24.99 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, June 14th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everyone into Garden Views, and we are welcoming back in Professor Patricia DeGenero. And she has a very long resume, which I read entirely on her last visit here. So let me just give you some of the highlights and she'll fill in any blanks if she feels that they're important. But she is a senior fellow and project lead for the Balkans Next Research Initiative at Joint Special Operations University. Before that, she came to the JSOU from the U.S. Central Command's Combined Joint Task Force Operations Inherent Resolve, where she was a senior social scientist focused on strategic communications and influence in the U.S. CENTCOM area of responsibility. She's been at some other little places like New York University, Harvard, George Mason, things like the NATO and the the director of national intelligence and you know, think things like that, that, you know, you, you might've heard of uh, among others. So I'm going to pass the baton over to the professor and let her uh, fill in anything that, that she thinks is essential that I left out. But I would of course commend all of you to listen to the past show she was on. So you can hear the entire reading of her accolades. Well, thanks very much for the introduction. You're too kind. And I don't think I have too much to add to that at all. I just am happy to be back and here talking to you, with you about current events. Yeah, no, I'm happy you're back also. And just to give the audience a, a little taste of things, when we originally spoke, my little notion was that we were going to talk about war doctrines of, of nations. And in that, I sort of got lost in a bunch of other questions, which seemed to be more interesting and timely. And and that's what we did. We spent the entire hour on on issues. Obviously, there's a hot war going on in Ukraine. I know these shows are evergreen, but that's still going on now. And while war doctrine is interesting and may creep in from time to time, it's a little academic. And, you know, what when my guests leave, a lot of times they say, thank you, I'd love to come back. But that's that sort of, you know, guest speak. It's polite. It's like when people hang up on the phone, they say, thank you very much. You don't always know if they really mean thank you. Uh, I found in my little practice that when they say that was really helpful, they actually mean it. When they say thank you, it could go either way. Um, but so I was pleasantly surprised when Professor DeGenero said, oh, I would love to come back and, and you know, uh, we can do war doctrine next time. And I'm like, oh, that's terrific. And then I was like reading about all these things that were going on. I'm like, why don't we do something like if you really want to come back, why don't we do like a regular segment? You can come back every couple months or whatever. And we can talk about like things that we need to know about that are going on in the world. And she's like, I love that idea. So here we are. We're going to do our first things that you need to know. So without further ado, I, I pass the baton into your capable hands. Well, what I thought we, we could do tonight, um, since 
we know that everything is pretty much interconnected. Um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about what's happening internationally, and we can turn over and look at a few things that I think we might want to think more about domestically. And part of that reasoning is that both are important to us, even though sometimes we're too busy in our lives to pay attention to one or the other or either. Um, but now's the time for you to hear about it and we can have some discussions. So I know Jeff is the master of doing his research and very knowledgeable about the world. So that's going to help me out. Yeah, let's go with that one. And the second part of this is, is we're getting into the presidential race already. So let's talk about some really big issues that are coming up right now that Americans may want to pay attention to um, besides being woke. And we could talk about that too at the end of the show or later on. <laughs> right, after we definitely do not drink our Bud Lights together. Right, exactly. So the first uh, issue or the first uh, thing that I think we should start paying attention to or be paying attention to is the fact that um, the Arab League has readmitted Bashar al-Assad, the president of Syria, and what that might mean for the future of U.S. Uh, policy in the Middle East or even engagement in the Middle East, because this is a huge step um, that the Gulf nations made, including Iran and Saudi Arabia together, with bringing the Syrian president back into the fold. It is uncanny and, that that is something that you picked, um, because in my other world, sometimes I'm ashamed to say it, but there's a, a, enough overlap in the audiences that they know this already. My other world is professional wrestling. And the World Wrestling Entertainment Company goes to Saudi Arabia twice a year. They're now in the fifth year of a 10-year contract, something like that. And they get like 100 or $110 million a year. That's not particularly important, except that it's part of this larger effort by the Saudi Arabian government to sort of enhance its world image, attract more sports, more tourism, sort of get itself back into the world a little bit more, show that it's modernizing, you know, in light of things like Jamal Khashoggi and and just, you know, uh, you know, generally, you know, not always being a great actor, you know, selling less oil when the world needs more oil, stuff like that. Um, but where's the overlap? What are you talking about, Jeff? Well, there's a Syrian wrestler named Sami Zayn who has refused to go to Saudi Arabia and or has been barred. It's, it's not entirely clear. My understanding is that he declined to go and other wrestlers in solidarity refused to go with him, which is fine. You know, he, you know, it's an extra payday, but he went this year and everyone's wondering what's up, what happened. And, and some, you know, podcaster said, well, I think it has something to do with this Syria being re-entered into this, into the Arab league. And I'm like, huh, I, I you know, that could be it. That that seems very meta, but he's a meta guy, and and I wonder what all that means. And now you're gonna you're gonna tie both my worlds together by answering this question. Yeah, that's correct, and um, it, it's a big deal. And I'm sure he went back because Assad was readmitted into the Arab League, and it shows that diplomatic engagement between that kind, not only Saudi Arabia, but the United Arab Arab Emirates and Iran is now. Um, they have started diplomatic exchanges now and diplomatic engagement. So I'm sure he went as part of that initial effort to show good faith, because um, I'm sure he, he's a Syrian wrestler, so I'm sure uh, his connections with the Assad regime are probably very tight. But a lot of this came from the fact that the conflict in Syria continues to go on, no end in sight. I think that they're concerned about another uh, long-term military presence on Syrian soil. But I think even more important is that Saudi Arabia is very worried about too many refugees coming across the border. It never wants outsiders across the border that it's not um, watching or controlling and making sure it knows who's coming and going, especially considered considering the constraints within the country. Um, part of that is also that there's a lot of contraband and within that is a large scale drug trade that's starting to impact a lot of the domestic um, population within Saudi Arabia and they want to nip that in the bud. And I'm sure they feel that the stronger Assad is, the more they can help him 
curb a lot of that illegal trafficking that's going across the border and helping him to get some more stability within the country and unification there. Excellent. Does this also open the door to aid from certain international organizations or other Arab countries without recrimination? Well, I should, I'm sure the West is going to sit on, I, you know, they sh I should say the West is sitting on this a little bit. I think they're a little caught off guard, um, not because Assad has not been able to maintain power and his, his kind of, uh, his position in Syria this long. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that this is happening because they need someone to bring stability to that nation. So, and I think in addition to this, the, the situation with the earthquake that just happened, um, Saudi and other Arab nations understand that they need that aid that you're talking about to come into the country or they're going to have further instability in the region, not only in Syria, but in Turkey as well. And that's just not something they want to see. Aid has been coming in more. Um, because of the situation with the earthquake. However, it's been very difficult because of the division in the country where Assad is control in part of it. So nations have to go through more hoops. And on the other side where the U.S. is controlling some of the, the initial aid that's coming in and the Kurdish Syrian um, groups that are there as well. So this is you know, this is kind of a tug of war here about, you know, who's going to get control and who can, who can actually win some hearts and minds of the people and get them some help, which they desperately need. And this, the status of the Syrian civil war, is it stable at all? Is there one side that looks like it's going to win or is it still very much in halves or even thirds? It's still pretty much probably, I would say, more in thirds because you have a very strong Assad hold, you have a Kurdish, strong Kurdish hold, and then you have a more southeastern hold where you have a lot of U.S. President, presence fighting right. with with the Syrians, fighting any, any remnants of, of the ISIS-Daesh movement and the terrorism there, which is pretty much under control at this point. Does the re-election of Erdogan have any effect on this positive, negative, or is it more of the same? It's going to be more of the same, and in, and in some Syrian minds, it, that is negative, and that is because there have been a lot of Turkish incursions in the Kurdish area of Syria. Um, they are looking for the U.S. At, at, they are U.S. partners, and they are looking to the U.S. to help stop some of those incursions. Now, they've been... Um, limited because of the earthquake situation where Turkey has had to focus a lot of its efforts and and its resources on you know helping in, in this earthquake, helping all, everyone who was affected by the earthquakes and then secondly I think during the election a lot of these incursions also slowed down a bit and felt you know the groups could could see who actually would come out but I think with Erdogan in there you're going to see a lot of the same Turkish policies continue in that region. And, and, and Turkey and the, the Kurds and Kurdistan uh, is, is a whole host of issues and on the northern front, or I'm not even sure if northern is exactly correct, but I mean, there's a shooting war between Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia. That's a little more north. Yeah. But that, that now, there's a ceasefire now. So um, the Secretary of State actually helped negotiate a ceasefire there so we have another ceasefire which i you know we'll see how long this one lasts they seem to last for a couple of years and then they start to to come up again um but that that's kind of got been, been in control right now and they're they they've imposed a little deterrence against that continued skirmish and conflict which is good news for yeah. Sides there. yeah it's definitely good news now on the this reintroduction to the Arab League almost certainly could not have happened with Saudi Arabia saying okay, um, either overtly or, or tacitly. And it sounds like overtly, well, not sounds like you're nodding enthusiastically. Um, they, Saudi Arabia recently helped to 
broker a ceasefire in Yemen, which is a war that arguably they helped to start as well, or a civil war, or at least encourage at least half of it. Um, now, I don't know if this is because, you know, uh, the Saudis have been saying a lot of mis- mixed signals, you know, vis-a-vis the West's interests. Is it because they have their own agenda maybe to play both sides, or is it because they're trying to assert themselves as a or the regional superpower to sort of counter Iran? Is it is is my thinking the West being West-centric, um, or is Saudi Arabia playing sort of a dangerous game with the West, or is it really more about Saudi Arabia saying, we're the big dog here? I think it's more about Saudi saying they're, they're the big dog there. I mean, there's this, pretty, this constant back and forth between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and mostly they use it. Uh, they use it. They use their the difference in the, the the Muslim religion to help kind of control and influence the populations. Um, so we have the Shia sector. We have the Sunni sector. The Saudis are Sunnis. Iranians are Shiites, and that's a very simple way of a very historical, um, you know, decades-old division in Islam. Maybe we could go to the Catholic Protestant Church to get some insights on that as well. But <laughs> we have a little different, little different ideas of the descendant, who the rightful descendants of Muhammad were. Anyway, yeah. so they, they have, you know, they have been been pretty much vying for control of populations by using religion and um, quite successful as it over the years you know the saudi is the, the keeper of the two holiest you know the muslim sites in saudi arabia mecca and medina and then well we also have to think about jerusalem but we can leave that off the table for right now and iran <laughs> is the, Shia, the keeper of the shiite you know sect and and helps to empower them and really influence them so so they can in fact have more power within the context of the region and i think saudi arabia has always been very independent on its foreign policy can you imagine being free again you're free again a songbird in a crystal sky a dolphin in the caribbean a puppy exploring a big backyard you escaped the handcuffs of the junk that held you captive you escaped because you called 1-800-GOT-JUNK we make junk disappear all you have to do is point our clean and shiny trucks haul away your distractions and leave your home sparkling with joy call 1-800-GOT-JUNK or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM and very influential in the region on its foreign policy. And it does that by kind of overpowering the Emirates and Bahrain and, and that area. So um, it gives it a little more power, but I think you were exactly right. This would never happen without Saudi agreement. And what was really interesting to me to, to for one step further is that, you know, they, they have reached, um, a good agreement or at least come to a good point or position with Iran now that has increased stability in the region. And I'd like to be a fly on the wall to see exactly what they agreed to. But for Iranians to for Iran to visit Syria, that was a huge step. And also there will be the first Iranian ambassador in Saudi Arabia who will come there if he hasn't there already in the next couple um weeks or months, who and Saudi hasn't had an Iranian ambassador for almost seven or eight years now. Well, this is definitely something to watch because it seems like it's short-term good, hopefully it's long-term good, but raised in the West as I was, you know, that this is, you know, the the alliance of of that part of the world, you know, uh, historically has not necessarily been a great thing for, you know, Western society, but the world's a little different now. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't. What should I think? Yeah, I don't. You know. I, well, it's it's certainly it, it, for our for a lifetime. It's certainly much different now than it has been in the last thirty years or so. And I think a lot of that has to do with technology. A lot of it has to do with the fact that um, other countries have gained more power in the world. There isn't just the Soviet Union and the United States. There isn't just a China and a Soviet Union, and you know. So now, 
you know, the Saudis are very wealthy. The Iranians have, have also a lot of influence in a lot of different areas. Um, the Saudis have made agreements to begin different types of engagements with Israel. So you have all of these different, you know, movements on this chessboard. And I think overall people know that to protect or what their countries are finding out is to protect their interests. They really have to build alliances because no one is strong enough just to rule the world on their own, so to speak. And so alliances um, for especially these smaller countries are definitely the way to go. I think it's good news for Iran and Saudi to be talking. I think the West should bring Iran in closer and closer every day as they can. Um, because I think in the past they've been natural allies of the United States, and I think they can be in the future. You know, and the regimes tend to change as countries open. Right. So that's that's a very realist viewpoint. But I, I overseeing things and experience, I think it's true. The more countries tend to close up, the more autocratic they get. The more open they are, the more. They have to engage with others and be more tolerant and open. So yeah. things change. Yeah, I don't think isolationist uh, isolationism. I'm having trouble pronouncing. Has worked well for any country in its history, with the possible exception of Japan, and, and they weren't really trying to grow. I mean, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, that that's probably neither here nor there. All right. So th that is certainly a lot of stuff going on in that region of the world. The the Near East, as we call it, uh, or the Middle East, as we call it, which I don't know. I, you know, the, the, I sometimes get lost in what we call parts of the world because near to who, you know, <laughs> middle of what? It's, it's, it's certainly not the middle of Asia. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, the Middle of East may be during the Roman Empire, but. <laughs> it's in the East Asia, right? But, yeah. you know, part of Asia. But yeah, we tend to change titles to how you know we want them perceived or how we would like others to perceive them. Um, so yeah, it's difficult and it's difficult because the world is getting, you know, they there's a lot of talk about globalization declining, but the world is so interconnected and so small, when I say with quotations, um, it's hard to get away from anyone anymore, right? So right. you have to, we can do one of two things, right? Continue conflict and fighting, which is not good for any of us, or start, you know, figuring out how to engage and work together better, even if, you know, we do have a hard time trusting each other. And the weapons are too powerful. I mean, let, let's yeah, face it, if, we, if we're doing it with arrows and swords, as gruesome as it, as it is, it's not the same as, you know, nukes, even tactical nukes. All right, so... Yes. The second thing I was going to start oh, to talk about today, okay. so that's a perfect segue. Good. So the second point I wanted to have people keep their eyes on and think about was the the triangular triangle. Like I, I guess I'm having trouble to pronounce some words today. It's contagious. The triangle nuclear power that seems to be again escalating between India, Pakistan, and China. So China has recently stated that they're going to increase their nuclear um, stockpile. Probably it's estimated past the hundreds now to the thousands um, by 2035. And because they have been working so closely with Pakistan, although we tend to think their nuclear weapons are very protected and secured, they're they have become less so over the years because the U.S. has not been there to be able to have, provide the extensive oversight that they've had in the past. Um, and we've got India right there in the middle, so I don't think they're going to sit still and watch China and Pakistan no. try to squeeze them out. So we might see a little bit of change in that area, which again is quite dangerous. So what we want to try to do there is work with our diplomats, increase our diplomatic strength, use our diplomacy to help dissuade this change in mindset of not expanding either current nuclear capabilities or other people having nuclear capabilities. 
I have a question for you, and it's based mostly on geography, and it's probably overly simplistic, and the answer is probably it's not affected just either way, but it wasn't that long ago that Pakistan had severe, severe flooding, and something like one-third of the, the nation was severely flooded, flooded and underwater. And I guess the question is, how much did that affect their military and nuclear capability, and would there be any permanent damage and or risk from the flooding? I mean, I know you probably build those things to be as environmentally secure as possible, but I don't know of anything that's been able to keep water out forever, you know, especially if it's permeating you from, you know, basically four sides, top, bottom, underneath. You know, although those floods are pretty bad, I think they're a certain part of the, you know, a certain part of, of Pakistan, and so mostly affected civilian areas and civilians overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I, I wish I could uh, hop on my jet and go over and check out the nuclear facilities and see, uh, but I I would I would not be able to clearly answer that question. Probably in different parts of the country, so they they don't have their their weapon systems so uh, diversified geographically as as maybe others might. Okay, it's a fair enough. Also, answer. I, you know, I, I the military is very strong, and I I would think most of most of them are far away from the river. Well, I guess bully for them. Um, I thought when you when you lit up on the tactical nuclear weapons, and in, in not the way I love tactical nuclear weapons, but that's a topic. I thought you were going to talk about what's going on in Belarus, which we've got a lot of really confusing news. And if you're not, you know, ready prepared to talk about this, it's fine. But like I heard that the 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 president Lukashenko had taken very ill. Maybe he was poisoned, maybe not, um, but nobody should read anything into this. And now there's some agreement where Russia, maybe because they poisoned the guy and he's like, it's cool, no tr- I don't want any trouble, or maybe a coincidence or who knows what, but they are now going to place nuclear weapons back in Belarus where they, you know, they had them 30 years ago, but uh, you know, Belarus, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan, all of the nuclear weapons were supposedly removed from, uh, from their nations after the fall of the Soviet Union. And, you know, there were certain assurances, one of which was, uh, Ukraine agreed to give up the nuclear weapons in exchange for security, which Russia co-signed on, said, we ensure people forget about that. They like to, you know, blame NATO and all sorts of things, but they forget that the, the, the security of Ukraine was actually guaranteed by Russia itself and they violated their own terms. So, you know, anyway, enough about me preaching about the chicken and the egg, but. That's but, a good point. I mean, I don't think people will bring that point up enough, but that's a really good point. There was that agreement, right? Post the Cold War, in addition to, to placing nuclear weapons in places like Belarus. They have stated that they are going to move them. I think, you know, we were worried about this from the beginning. Um, you can bet your top dollar that a lot of diplomats are running around right now trying to prevent this from happening and figuring, trying to figure out ways um, from from that going. And I think Poland, for one, is probably the most concerned nation um, that that is going to take place. Um, so it hasn't happened yet, but yes, Putin, I think Putin, unfortunately, is at a point where uh, we, we've got to figure out some some cohesive way or allied way um, to get him to to really uh, be be more contained right now because the the region is is pretty pretty big, big hotbed. Yeah. You know, today yeah. there were skirmishes in Kosovo and between Serbians and Kosovars, which is a big hotspot, and um, we. It's, it's really something that we as NATO and NATO partners need to keep an eye on. Well, he's reputed to be the richest man in the world. You, you'd think some arrangement where he could keep th- those riches and, you know, move someplace safe would, would probably be appealing. Uh, but I guess if you feel like you're already completely secure, you, you know, that holds no allure to you. Um, Anyway, uh, I guess we have to hope for an Icarus moment where, you know, some of the wax melts off his feathers. Um, any, <laughs> I, you know, Poland really has taken a lead in a lot of things. And it's interesting because they, you know, 
a lot of the internal politics in Poland has really gone the wrong way from a, you know, a classical liberal democracy point of view, but they've really stepped up in, in the face of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and how they feel, you know, they're next. Um, but other places... I mean, you're you're seeing some people that remember um, a lot of the hardships that happened during a you know long Soviet occupation, and a lot of the marginalization and products of that, have, which are, are continue to go on a lot of times under the surface, and people are worried. They're very worried. What about Romania and, and Hungary, especially Hungary? I mean, I mean, land-wise, these seem like bigger countries. I don't know power-wise if they're bigger or not. Um, but, you know, I haven't heard much from them and everything I hear from Hungary. Well, it's sort of the way I just described Poland, except without the actively stepping up and being so vocal. It seems like almost like they're trying to be neutral. I think the Polish population understands and they, they really... They, they don't, um, they have stepped up and they understand what it's like, again, to be under Russian occupation and they don't want that happening again. So you're really seeing, especially the military alliances there and the diplomatic alliances are, have been robust and, and, and more um, aligned now. And that's also holds true for Romania. Um, there was a lot of, of brutally brutality, I should say, and, and, you know, during the Russian occupation in Romania, especially with the dictator, and the Romanians do not want to go back there again, so they're doing the same thing. They've come out, you know, with really robust diplomatic and military engagements looking to the U.S. to make sure that they're strengthened and have security. Now, Hungary is kind of like Serbia. They're, you know, they have autocratic leaders that want to stay in their autocratic space and their hedges. Serbia is probably worse because although we were starting to build good, solid relationships there, they are still um, really holding on to past experiences they've had with being bombed by NATO and having a lot of sanctions put on them in the early 90s and mid 90s. And so they still have strong scars from that. You have to remember this is a part of the world where people remember the Ottoman Empire and what they did. So, mm -hmm. you know, what happened in the 90s is pretty, still pretty, pretty raw and the scars are still wide open. Um, but Hungary is also, we've, we've really been building some strong alliances with them. I think they're being careful um, too. You know, people, people try. When you're a tiny country without a lot of resources, in, and the, the people tend to try to hedge. Right. Now, I, 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 you know, I understand why they might. I mean, you know, because of where they are and, and who they depend on and, their, and the histories and the relationships. So anyway, you, you start with Pakistan, India, and China, and I sort of dragged you back west again. Um, so I don't... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad for that, but I don't know where if that where were you going to go next. So back to you, Prof. Um, well, I was going to actually go go to this the Sudan. Okay, next, let's do it. Which um, fits right in with the Middle East and the, you know and that African nexus that goes on right there and the. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. 
basis of that conflict and what happened in there. So you had, you know, one almost one military, the, the old adage, one military with two leaders who got mad at each other. <laughs> and now we're fighting. Right? You know, I think the real challenge there again goes, we're going back to populations, right? It's civilian populations are constantly moving this located, relocated, suffering because these governments can't get, or these powers in these countries can't get along, you're going to see long-term effects with that. And just like you'll, you'll see, you know, those skirmishes will come up and all of a sudden they'll, they'll end up in outright battles in the street because of where people are depending on what their experience has been through their suffering. And I think Sudan, you know, going, you know, getting, going back to a civil war almost is, has brought up all of these scars and over 700,000 now are again displaced with, again, millions of people are already displaced in conflict-ridden and climate change areas or climate-affected areas. Um, you're, you're, this is all going to exacerbate some of these things we talked about earlier, where where powers are kind of fighting each other because of their influence now. They can find ways to, to kind of stick little pokes in there because they want some influence with populations, governments. And both of those military leaders have very strong relationships with Saudi Arabia, Iran, United Arab Emirates. So it's going to be very interesting to see how some of that plays out. Yeah, Sudan. You don't want to see it get any worse. No, yeah. Things Sud are bad enough in the areas already. Yeah, I mean, Sudan had only recently, in the air quotes, stabilized. And, you know, it's, it's probably been less than a decade for it to destabilized. I mean, South Sudan got recognized as a separate country and all of that good stuff. I remember George Clooney and, you know, other celebrities um, favoring that. So, yeah, that's that's definitely one to watch. And, you know, as well as its neighbors, uh, you know, Lake Chad is shrinking. It you know, used to be, I think, the biggest inland freshwater body of water in the world. I mean, I, I don't know how people know that stuff, but they that's what I've heard. Uh, well, it's true. When things like that happen, it causes a lot of conflict. I mean, you know, a lot of your listeners are people that are, are hearing this. You know, I, I recommend you go a day without water and see how it feels and then go weeks. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've had that happen to me when I, years, years ago, when I first went to Eastern Europe, I would go weeks without water because they just, they were either exporting it to the neighbor or the pipes just were on, you know, mm. and I can remember my first, you know, reaction to, oh my God, I don't have any water in my bathroom, or oh my God, I haven't taken a shower in four days, or, you know, I have to boil everything I put in my mouth because of, you know, you know because there's, it's not pure, right. and it's, it's all polluted, right, and so it's very, and these, and water is, you know, it's, it's part of, I don't, I'm not a, a health person, but it's how much part of your body and all of this. And when you're going days and weeks without it, you get, people get pretty cranky. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, and I'm guessing in a place where there's not water, there's not a lot of, you know, there's food scarcity also, which is, you know, extra cranky. Um, to bring this to a full circle, you know, and Chad is also very well connected with both of these military leaders. And so you're seeing, you know, all these transfers of weapons that are now being funneled into the Sudan. So how long is this going to continue to right. you know, wreak havoc on people, on the nation, and make the situation of scarce resources again worse than it already is? Right. And there's not a lot of room to give uh, because it is interrelated. And the war in Ukraine has affected what, the, the, what is it, the second largest exporter of grain in the world behind the United States? Yes, it is. It is. It's caused quite a few problems, especially in that area of the world that relies so much on bread, right? You don't mm -hmm. have a meal without bread. So 
I say that in Italian too, because in Italian places I don't like Debra. <laughs> but yeah, and you will have you've had riots in Egypt and Lebanon and other places because of the lack of women. And you know, Russia's using that as a power tool. Sure. Now so now food becomes a weapon, water becomes a weapon, and you know, movement of people and goods, this has all become part of Past stories of long, long war. Well, I know that you also want to do three things on the domestic front. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe, you know, listeners and everyone, especially those of us in the U.S. and parts of Europe that aren't directly uh, affected by this and other, you know, developed countries or people who are in fortunate positions in, the, in their own countries, you know, maybe should take a second and not be so upset that the price of gas is three forty instead of a dollar ninety nine and you know eggs are four dollars instead of ninety nine cents um because those are what we call first world world problems not not that they're not real and not that they don't affect people's budgets and the way you can live but you know I don't know a lot of people who don't have like you know three or four streaming services so <laughs> Well, it does. I mean, I think the world has been through a crisis with COVID, right? It's destroyed a lot of distribution systems, and we've, we've had some inflation. Um, also, just just um, our, you know, today I read an article, so I'm going to take a deep breath and go back, that a lot of the things that make us vulnerable these days are pandemics, crisis with the environment, Right and and conflicts that are going on and, and so easily started and right and the egg issue is a pandemic issue right mm-hmm. because it's bird flu issue and so birds have either had to be culled or changed and so it's not they've not been able to produce the same amount of eggs or they just can't sell those eggs right and I think I think it's the law in the U S I don't know about other places that if you know a, a chicken ranch or chicken farm if if they find the flu you know either at all or above x percentage the the yep. policy is you kill all the chickens um and you know no question and you know i i you know i guess there's a reason for it i guess that that's what what it takes to make sure that people don't get the avian flu or you know whatever it is um yeah and you know and this you know at this time as we're recording uh, you know I saw that China was saying that it might have up to 65 million cases of covid a year now I don't know if, if it's the covid that kills 3 or 4% or if it's the covid that was like the omicron or delta where you get it and you feel like crap for a couple of days and then it goes away uh, and I don't know if we're getting truthful information or whatever but you know nobody's ready for that again <laughs> And I think we talked about this, you know, we need strong leadership. And that brings us again back to domestic issues because it's almost, it's obviously presidential running season. We have about eight Republican candidates now that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the issues that I think we should think about, I'm going to go to number one. Mm -hmm. And this is, this goes back to resources and, and what we talked about earlier, which is called water. And that's the Supreme Court ruling against part of the Clean Water Act, which I'm not so many sure people so sure so many people paid attention to. Um, but there's a part of the Clean Water Act where the tribes and the states protect various areas to ensure that your water is clean and you're drinking it. Um, and also the state has to ensure that your water is clean so when you're drinking it, um, it doesn't, you know, cause you to be ill from the pollution in it. And they have lightened those requirements. So it concerns me because I think in days like this, we should be worried, making sure we're protecting ourselves and understanding what pollution does to our bodies and our ability to think and our ability to progress and not get like a lot of these diseases that we get that are long-term cancer, heart disease, that are coming from plastics and things that are getting in this water. So them telling the Environmental Protection Agency that they don't have to be so strict on clean water 
and you know protecting clean water areas is really concerning not to just to me but i think you know to the future generations that we're all bringing up right now and the future of american society and americans as a whole yeah shame on me for not knowing what the basis of the the ruling was um there's just a lot going on um I imagine that this is why we want to talk about a few things we should pay attention to, right? Yeah. I imagine <laughs> people who make this everything. Yeah. I but I think that the people who make Dasani and then Polar and Perrier and all that they're they're probably pretty happy because more people would be buying, you know, bottled water, Fiji, um, you know, or, or whatever. I don't want to call out any companies or anything like that, but uh I I but I've been told that that water's no better than tap water, so <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's probably not any better than tap water once you test it, <laughs> but it's, it's sure nice to have a bottle of water. But I think that, you know, this is a larger problem. You know, we want to we wanna think about the health of our society, and I think that's the bottom line. And allowing people to pollute more is just not good for the health of anyone. Um, I don't care how much money you have or how little, I think everyone should have these basic, the basic knowledge that their government and their country cares about making things better for them in life and a healthier environment. And we seem to be going backwards with these kinds of things. It is probably so, but for those folks who are angry at the Supreme Court about it, rightly or wrongly, I told you I don't know the basis of it, I don't know. Just remember, usually, uh, Congress can enact laws that will fix this and the courts will usually go along with those. So talk to your elected representatives, your uh, your House and Senate, um, and maybe even on the state level, enough states do things, then, you know, then, then a lot of these water companies and, and public utilities serve more than one state. And it's, if you have to comply with, you know, let's just say that I'm going to make stuff up. Let's just say West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Delaware share a water system. I have no idea if they do. Um, but if they have to comply with, let's say Maryland and Delaware have high standards, uh, more than Pennsylvania and West Virginia, but they've got to meet those standards. They're probably just going to employ them, you know, through, for all four states. So uh, possibly the basic yeah. comes out of a lot of these um, pipeline uh, projects that want that people want to have done and they can't um, they can't bring them to fruition without you know tribal you know tribes that have been given this right. this oversight since you know the, the trail of tears <laughs> we could go into that a different time but you know they they have oversight there and they have not been able to get around their oversight and i think this is where most of this is coming from now so the Supreme Court has said that, you know, it has hindered some of their oversight that they have been promised over the century or over the existence of this country. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a big one to look at. So what what else you got for us domestically? Well, we got the debt ceiling, which we're, I think we're going to get through, but we're not sure. And... You know, I think we need to think about as Americans how how this can hurt us if we continue to allow Congress to bicker like this. And I think that is a big issue that we all as as a society have to think about and look at. You can't put little things in the debt ceiling. We have to, as you said, Jeff, call our congressmen, call our senators, call our representatives, and tell them they can't gamble with your money anymore. Right. It is not, they, they blame it on what they call entitlements, which is Social Security and Medicaid, or Medicare, sorry, Medicare. These are not entitlements. You pay for them. You pay for them. Right. You pay in the box <laughs> so you can take out of the box later in life when you're ready or you need to. So you're not entitled to that. You've made an agreement right. <laughs> for that. So I think this debt ceiling should remind us what our taxes are going for and what they should be used for. And Congress should not be able to play the future of 
your financial well-being, which is exactly what they're doing. Because if they default, that's money to China, that's money to Saudi Arabia, that's money to all of these countries that hold bonds in our country. And if your stock market collapses, (laughs) that's your financial future. Right. Nobody's retiring and risks losing the U.S. currency as being the fiat currency of the world. And there's a whole host of other things that, that, yeah. We might have to learn other languages if English doesn't become the, the language of transportation, you name it. Cascading effects that, that are very catastrophic. Um, and, and it's really a political ploy because, the, the, you know, both, you know, both parties have raised the debt ceiling, you know, and, and every now and then they play this game. And, but this time it feels a little bit different. It feels, it does feel different. It feels different because they are, they are playing with, a default, which is has long-term global implications. I don't think that people really understand the, the control or the stake that the United States has in the world economic and banking systems. And if we default, the world's going to panic. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very global impact issue. It's, it'll impact your pocket and everyone else's, and America will lose a lot of legitimacy and credibility yeah. if something like that happens. And, and really over nothing, because the cuts they're talking about are to, you know, the discretionary, which is, uh, which leaves almost nothing, um, you know, and uh, except for the military budget and the, the scapegoat for that, of course, is currently Ukraine, but the defense budget, I mean, it historically almost never goes down. <laughs> and and good reason. We, we, if it's not Ukraine, we probably need to build, you know, 20 more ships in the Pacific to counter whatever China's doing or something, you know, or whatever it is. Well, I'm not sure. And at least we could have a show on that one day. <laughs> sure. Um, come back as many times as you like. The budget is very big. And, and our, I'm a national security professor. That's what I do for a living is we look at, at things that could hurt or are a threat to the United States of America. We have a very big military budget and some of that is very warranted, but some of it also is very wasteful. And I think that uh, billions of those dollars, um, if we looked at it hard and deep, I think they could be diverted to some other things that would make this country as strong in other areas as it is militarily. And I'm talking about basic K through 12 schools, education, making sure people are, are have, have a better life. However, we as Americans decide to do that, whether it be healthcare, whether it be better education, whether it be safer, safer streets. And that's where we become a strong country as well, not just through bombs. And space lasers. No. Right. I have to, I have to throw <laughs> yeah. that in. Which you like, right? Well, you know. You right. know, I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm just saying that there's a lot of waste in the military. And I think if we did divert some of that and really worked hard to really strategically look at where we need to be and how we need to get there in today's world, some of that could be diverted to better use for a stronger internal America as well as external which is what the military does, looks externally at external threats. That's true. So, they, well, I think internally, a lot of people look at it as a jobs program or an economic boom project for their district or their company. It has been. I mean, governments throughout the world are used as jobs programs, right? And in a way, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I would argue also that you want to have those people be the best people they can be and the most effective they can be because their jobs and responsibilities affect all all of us worldwide. We need really smart, talented, trained, well-trained people. And it's so it's about getting people in jobs, but you don't just put everybody in a job thinking that, you know, you're going to take care of them. They're they're not going to do much work. Ten people doing the same job is really not the best best use of your money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. 
You need redundancy in some situations. You don't need redundancy in every every situation or or whatever the case might be. All right. So I think that's two. So you said you had three domestically. What's our third? Two. So last thing I said is I'm, you know, a security specialist. And I can't help myself because this weekend I just read an article that told me that over the Memorial Day weekend, Eight people have been killed and 71 injured over the holidays from gun violence. Okay, gun, guns are a big, big, like, what is that, the, the, the third rail in this country? Seems to me. And I understand why, and I understand the history there. And um, I think we need to have some serious conversations on this beyond the Second Amendment talking point because a lot of people are using a lot of guns yeah. when they're angry mm-hmm. and i think in the days when i was young we used to leave our doors open or long gone and so we do need to do some serious thinking outside of our emotions on this issue and think about how we'd like to view safety not only of our kids but of ourselves Many of these incidents this past weekend were right out in the open. Yeah. People just shooting at each other in the middle of a long, big crowd, you know. So this is this is something I think we really need to sit down, take a deep breath, take a time out, and have a little serious conversation about it. Because it's hurting our society, and it's not making it better I agree with you on that. Uh, I sometimes think that maybe solving the problems between, uh, you know, the, the West and the East are easier than uh, than this intra-United States issue itself. That, that, that might be an exaggeration, but if the Saudis and the Iranians are agreeing on some major issues, uh, maybe I was right about that. I don't know. Uh, you know, everything that's closer to home. Do some big dig, dig, digging about this d- divisiveness we had. I think we talked about a little bit about this last time. Um, it's weakening our country. It's weakening our our notion of where we belong and who we are. And we don't all have to be the same person. We don't have to look alike. We don't have to think alike. We don't have to have the same religion. But we have to start thinking about whether or not we are committed to a whole America. Well, that's the thing. It's 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 weakening we. There there isn't a we anymore. Uh, if you take we weak and you turn it into two words, you you could you could make it sound we ache. We do. We we ache. Um, and yeah, I don't know what the perfect answer is, but I. I, I do take solace in those polls that show that something like two thirds to eighty percent of people agree on five or six points, and and it's just the fringes who really disagree, and they seem to be the loudest voices, sometimes the scariest voices. Um, but uh, so I think us yeah. as as the, uh, the the five or six points that you're talking about who agree really need to start. Um, Building from the inside out, getting together and and figuring out how to tone down some of this divisiveness. Absolutely, uh, you know, and it and you know, it shouldn't be when you hear about a mass shooting that you should be like, oh, "Lord, I hope it's in a, a concealed carry state, so this good guy with a gun thing, you know, is proven false." Because that it, it'll never convince the good guy with the gun that if they were there, they wouldn't have changed it, and 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 that's a frankly, a shitty way to think anyway. I, I hope it's in Texas and, and, and not in New York, I mean, or whatever. I mean, the, you know, the, the, you don't want it to happen, period. Um, and No child should go to school in the morning and be afraid. Yeah. Not that they're not going to come home in the afternoon. Uh, like I said, in the day we used to leave our doors open, we, you know, back those days are long gone and we need to get some of that back where we trust our neighbors and our friends and start Stop fearing each other because you know what? The world has big enough problems and our adversaries, they like the divisiveness. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> you're well, feeding right into that issue of, of them making us weak and perpetuating the fact that we're getting weaker. 
Well, politics used to be the art of achieving the possible, and that's been turned into a pejorative that the compromise is now weakness. No, it's not. I mean, anybody who's ever been on a homeowners association or even smaller boards know that, that no group of people almost ever agree on anything. So com- compromise is sometimes the best you can get. And I'm a lawyer and I, and every TV show you've ever watched tells the truth. And every news show you've ever seen tells the truth that over 90% of cases settle. You think anyone's happy about that? No, nobody's happy about that. But they, they walk away and at the end, it, it is almost always the right decision for them. Um, and, you know, that. Win-win. Yeah. You gotta get back to win-win. Yeah, that's what politics used to be. Um, so anyway, I always like to be respectful of your time and, and you know, keep it always. Oh, this is the second time, but I know that an hour is sort of our, our limit and we are getting close to that. So uh, I think you picked six excellent topics. Uh, we already have another date scheduled for a couple months from now, and I'm sure there'll be tons of new things happening then. Maybe space lasers, maybe not. Um, we can always hope. And so once again, where can people find you if you want to be found? Excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time and having a good sense of humor and, and uh, keeping us on some of these very important points and allowing me to stray a little bit. Everything is interconnected. Uh, and that's the one thing that the, you know, protectionism, protectionism, isolationism never works because everything is connected. Uh, you know, we didn't, the war in Ukraine affects food in Africa, which, in, which increases immigration to the United States, which means the people are pouring into South America and tearing through their limited resources as they're trying to walk up, you know, up, up to the United States. So, you know, everything, everything is connected. Um, so, I love that explanation. I think that's great. Yeah. Because you're right. <laughs> yeah. And when I'm the voice of reason, that's something that people should panic over. So anyway, once again, I want to thank Professor uh, Patricia DiGennaro for, for being here again and agreeing to be a repeat guest. And I'm so thrilled that uh, that uh, we forged a mutual connection, which hopefully that uh, they will both enjoy with. I don't want to say any other names, you know, to ruin any surprises and until something happens. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll take pride in something one day soon. Who knows? Um, anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening to Garden Views. And hopefully you'll check us out again next time.
Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on.